Good evening, good citizens, and welcome to July 2021's Dante's Old South. I'm your host, Clifford Brooks, and this evening we've got David Shaw, frontman for the Revivalists, up in the hot seat first to talk about his new solo album and upcoming tour. Second, we have Natalia and CISO with conversation about her artwork and life. Coming in third, we have return champion Robert Gwaltney, a Georgian novelist, to talk about The Cicada Tree, his first book, and how it's under contract now, how that feels, and the business around the act of publishing. I want to thank now Autism Speaks, Lyndon Rowe Inn, The Red Phone Booth, NPR and WUTC, and Office Evolution of Roswell, Georgia, for their ongoing support and love. Now, before we go any further, let's jump in with both feet and talk to David Shaw. First on deck with July 2021's Dante's Old South, we have David Shaw, frontman of the Revivalists, who's recently stepped out to promote his new album and, sorry ladies, newly engaged. David Shaw, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing, I'm doing better than good. That is fantastic to hear after the catastrophe we had to deal with in the last year and a half. Um, Jeez, and with, right? <laughs> with, all that, with it in the past, we are looking forward. And um, before yeah. we get too far into the show, um, I read that you're, you're so well known that your pants are famous. Your pants are in the rock and roll. Well, tell, tell us. I gotta, tell, I, go ahead. I got to be honest. Those aren't even my pants. My, uh, they're my cousin's pants. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how did they he, still tell me about it he let me borrow them and um well okay so they they they, uh, they contacted us they contacted our management and they, uh, the rock and roll hall of fame they said hey you know we'd like to um you know feature your band and uh, david in the um, in the contemporary artist section and my manager was like absolutely yes and they were like you have any you know notable pieces of clothing any like you know special shows anything that happened you know that was kind of like a, an aha moment uh-huh. and my manager was like yeah there's there was this one show where um so basically i i was out in the crowd i was doing my thing i was in between you know you know how like these big festivals will have the line and it'll like it'll kind of like there's like a walkway between the two masses of crowds basically yeah, yeah. from the stage huh? i was in between that and i was running back after doing my thing and there was this piece of two by four that was just sticking out and it was like a little nail on it and it just caught my boot and I just took a mad stumble to <laughs> hit right. the ground I mean I'm still singing dude it was <laughs> it was so I get up brush my shoulders off get back on the stage and we're about to go into the next song I want to say it was maybe I can't remember I think it was fade away um, I think it was Fade Away. Uh-huh. One of the two. Uh, one, or it was then. And see, people keep pointing at me, start pointing at me, going, hey, Dave, Dave, your head. Uh-huh. I'm like, what, what, what? And I started, then I started tasting it. And then it just, then the blood just started basically squirting out of my head like a, it was, it was, uh, it was, that was something gnarly. else. That was gnarly. <laughs> it was gnarly, man. That's gnarly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was gnarly. So yeah, so the, so the, those pants that I was wearing uh-huh. that day um, are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 
That's that's better blood, than any story still, I hope. But the blood all over him. Still. That's what I'm saying. That's the best part. You know, it's like it's your cousin's genes, but it's your DNA. Uh, that's actually yeah, that's probably yeah. a, that's, an, that's an episode of CSI somewhere. I'm almost I'm almost exactly positive. exactly. Uh, but, I mean, you your your presence and your your energy um, is is fueled uh, by something red hot or maybe a divine blue flame inside you. And I did some uh, research and. Uh, you you've you've harnessed your adhd that that energy oh, yeah. and, into music and my curiosity yeah. um my my intimate curiosity with this subject is how does did that energy fuel your creative process and does that creative process help you tame the beast um i think it's a bit of a uh double-edged sword where like it can it can hinder the creative process a, a good bit but then mm. it can also really 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 help it mm. because if you can get you know it's like so it's like you know people with adhd they're like they're like they do one thing get bored on, on to the next thing do one thing for a little bit on to the next thing so it has helped it in a lot of ways because i think that you know i don't get stuck in a rut you know with like if i'm if i'm not feeling a song i'm just like i'm on to the next thing you know mm. and then you know once i can kind of like really if, if if something is if if i've got something and it's able to hold my attention yeah. <laughs> i know that i've got something you know what i'm saying i do and i think I have... in in some ways i think that's one of the main reasons why it's helped me uh, a, a a good bit honestly now uh we've talked about your sound some of its origins and the the way you uh you get your get your both hands on it uh, oh yeah! You you found your sound and you were found actually on your front porch in New Orleans playing guitar and singing, right? Uh, yeah. And you moved from from Ohio. So my question is, yep. uh, when you when you came from Ohio into New Orleans, did you feel like a fish out of water, or or was it like an uh, an odd homecoming? Did you did it resonate with you that way? You know, New Orleans is definitely different from Ohio in a lot of ways. Um, but it really it honestly like I feel like. New Orleans was, um, you know, in the city and the vibe and just like the musical culture and just like the, the brotherhood of that place. I feel like that was something that I was kind of missing, honestly, my whole life. And once I moved down there, it felt like this is the place. This is where I'm going to be able to grow. This is, you know, it just, this is the place where I can put my roots down yeah. and be, you know, incubated in a way that's just like, soulful and you know just mm, I do. it feels good you know yeah. i mean i'm sure you've been to new orleans yes. you, you, you can you can get the vibe real quick yeah yeah and not get out and not get out yeah you know exactly it's it and, exactly. and while, while you were there and uh being pleasantly marinated so to speak uh you know <laughs> yeah. you, right uh that happens quick you you took all well no you didn't take you, you got in with the and y'all created the the revivalists and y'all yep. worked at it hard for what seven years to, to, until you you kind of broke your third plateau seven hard years of sacrifice right um let's see here 2007 we basically started 2008 and then it really wasn't until 2017 so almost 10 years there you go 10 years to get like some like real like real you know you know real success it was crazy you know they, they say you know it takes 10 years to become an overnight success and that's it, that's really like the that is actually our story it's kind of crazy and you know so. with, with with all that hard work 
you know, and it's not to be dramatic about it. It's like anybody from a, um, from somebody who owns a, a landscaping company that takes over to somebody who's a brain surgeon, you got to love what you do and you're going to put the hard time in, you know, or yeah. you lose it, you lose it like that. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And it's, and it's, you know, it's always, you know, you, the things that the, that the people see, you know, that's just a very small, small portion of it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all the behind the scenes work that they don't see. You know, that's really like the, do you really want to do this? Right. Are you willing to put the work in? Are you willing to put the time in? Because the up on the stage, the 90 minutes, that's where if you've actually put the time in, that's where you're going to actually, you know, convert those people from listeners into fans. And if, I, if you haven't done the time, you know, then I don't know if it's going to happen. No, it won't. Yeah. It, it's like when somebody tells me that we've got a new 20, 20 year, 22 year old blues phenom. I'm like, no, you have a 22 year old guitar phenom, but don't go. get that yeah. twisted. You know, it's, it's, it's time, yep. it's time and experience. And so you, yep. you had that experience with the revivalists, which the name yep. I love. And, and just, just so I can have it on my show, tell me how you picked that name or how y'all picked the name revivalists for that, for that gig. Well, we didn't have a gig. We didn't have a name. Right. And we were going by like 12 Camp Finshaw. And uh, Zach was like, well, what, well maybe we, well, let's just call it the Revivalist. I think he heard it on like a 2020 uh, um, time, uh, like, a, like a Dateline thing, or it was, it was a 60 Minutes thing on uh -huh. Springsteen. And he says he, he, like, he described the shows as like part uh, Big Tent Revival and something or else. But like uh -huh. that, he heard that and was like, the Revivalist. Okay. yeah and yeah, so man. we were just like we were all just like yeah let's let's do it that sounds great we needed a name and we had a show and <laughs> it, it grabs Finshaw was not what it was so. <laughs> i thought that's what you so. were going i'm like well let me tell you why you should have changed that name because that was yeah. terrible that was ter <laughs> yeah uh, exactly <laughs> now you know you, you, you name and, and you dance with that group man and uh you own it and now you're on a solo trip uh tell us yep. about your solo album and what that's all about Pauls. You know, man, I knew I was going to do one at some point, you know, I wanted to make sure that I can could get the band to a point where it was like, you know, we could take some time off and it wouldn't hurt the band. And, and mm -hmm. honestly, for a band like ours, time off is good, you know, I do. especially when you've been hitting it for 10 plus years, you know, it's just kind of like you need to kind of yeah. go away and then come back, give the people a reason to miss you, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, um, so we were going to take some time off and gonna do this and the coronavirus hit and so now i'm kind of in this like you know in between kind of thing where like i'm kind of bouncing back and forth between the band and the solo thing which is fine you know mm -hmm. um but yeah man i just knew i was I, I knew i wanted to do something i didn't know exactly when i wanted to do it but i knew that i needed to grow in a certain kind of way that like a band culture doesn't necessarily foster you know because in a band you've got a lot of people to lean on and you don't have to make every decision, you know, and that's all great. That's awesome. You know, I love that, you know, mm -hmm. but I just was like, you know, I didn't want to look back, you know, and when I was 50 or 60 and go, man, you wanted to do that. What if? You didn't do that. Why yeah. didn't you do that? You yeah. know, so, so I'm, I'm here, here I am doing it and it was scary as hell in the beginning. And I, you know, I, you know, I made some mistakes. I've, I've, you know, had some triumphs, you know, and triumphs, and yeah, I'm still learning, you know, it, it feels really good, um, we're on our first tour right now, 
we just did the first two shows and and uh key west sold out so that mm-hmm. was really like a nice like you know, yeah way to start off the tour and yes sir the fans you know of the band and just also new fans are really embracing the music mm-hmm. and you know making me feel like yeah you know, you did something you're, you're doing it all right you're, you're, you're gonna be okay it, 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 your your humility is amazing it really is because and i mean that because when i your new album is haunting in the best possible sense um right on, man. if if i may have my two cents to put into it um yeah. th- there's a there's um you're, you're pulling from a deeper place in the sternum you know below the heart yeah and it, it yeah. resonates that way uh with you being newly engaged does that depth and that that uh, how does how does that change in your life that depth in which you're singing how does that develop in your solo album you know, I think it, it only makes that um, connection much more stronger, you know, just, yeah. just between me and her. I mean, a lot of the songs in the album were written about her, you know. Our our biggest song in The Revivalist was written about her, you know. So, like, she's kind of, she's, uh, you know, she's been my lover, my best friend, and my muse for as long as I can remember, you know. Right. Um, so, it's just, um, it's really amazing and just like it feels really good to just go out there and play these songs for people because i've been playing them in the screen for the past year yeah and in you know just because of because of the pandemic and then you know we we made them up you know basically in the studio all playing together you know but it just feels really good to be um, getting them out there in the uh in the place where they were meant to be heard you know so yeah feels good it was really good you look good wearing it i'm just saying and and Thanks, man. No, to, to not make a pun about it, um, you have a fashion sense that's genuine, and uh, it doesn't insist upon itself. Uh, you know, it's like that's that's Thanks, you man. all that's you all the time, and it when you dance and how you sing. So to find out when I heard that your pants were famous, to loop this back around perfect circle, it did not shock me. <laughs> It did not shock me. Well, of course, of course they are. So I mean, of how course did, they are. A, you know, so how how did you how did you craft this style? I mean, you know, because we I've seen you, you you've been having pictures. This way, let me preface this. I almost said I've seen you making breakfast in those clothes. I mean, in a magazine, you 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 know, you're cooking something. So let me clarify that. Before I got creepy, but so yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's all the time. It's all the time. How do you how do you choose what to what to wear in the morning? Teach me. How do you do this, man? Um. I just, I keep, I think it's also, it's kind of has to do with like songwriting and, and just like art in general. I kind of, I pull, I pull a little bit, you know, from the things that I see. Mm-hmm. And then I, I just try to, you know, kind of like, I'm like, all right, well, what's me, you know, what, what's, what's a little day from small town, Ohio going to do to kind of like make it his own. Right. So then I kind of just put a little bit of that. So it's a little bit of like, you know, some of my favorite people, some of my favorite, you know, fashion on, you know, just it's a, it's a, I'd say it's just like a conglomerate of stuff and then just being free and not letting like, you know, any of like the rules really like contain you. So in a real way, it's like you wear your music. I wear my music. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I do. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Man. That's great. That was a moment right there, bro. Now when uh, you, you get on stage and you own it, um, with your new album, I would love to play one of your songs after this interview. When you're up there on the Please stage do. with a solo album, what's the song uh, that maybe stands out that that surprised you? That when you sing it, it gets it just grabs you. You like that kind of that that the one that kind of came out of left field on you. Disrepair. Disrepair. Tell us about that song, please, sir. Um, 
you know, it was written during a time when, you know, well, most of it was written during a time when I didn't know if uh, me and my girl were like really going to make it. Mm-hmm. You know, we were kind of going through some hard times, pretty much all my doing. And um, we, we, we pulled it out, mm-hmm. you know, and that was the, that kind of was the, that's the tune that really kind of drives that memory and that feeling home for me. And it's just been crushing live. People have been really, really digging it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people just singing, you know, singing along while we're playing it live. So I'd say that was, that's kind of the one. That one and So Far Gone. Just okay. because I think people, we just went through a really, really hard year. And I think that one kind of resonates. They're on two completely opposite sides of the spectrum. Uh-huh. Um, like, honestly, it could almost sound like it's from a different album, like those two songs. But that, I'll just say that that's really one of the things that I love to do as an artist. And also, I'll just take that, you know, I'm going to bring it full circle again with the fashion. It's just Uh like, you know, one day I might wear overalls. And the next day you might catch me in a Versace, you know, button up and some, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. matter. Same thing with the music. Exactly. Same thing with the music. So this album's got a lot of different stuff on it, which, you know, that's, that's what i like and it, it all of it harmonizes you know all of it has yeah. this all of it has the, the the undulating thread of your voice and the sound that comes from exactly. it i don't i mean to exactly. me i mean again this is just my two cents the album comes across um as various as your energy flows in the topics and the things that you're interested in but because it has you uh to kind of help us you, you don't hold our hand but you do point us in the right direction with how you're moving and how your life progressed uh, you never feel choked Absolutely. off. It, it, it's, it's, it's experimental in that I've never heard this from you, but you feel, you sound extremely comfortable doing it. I mean, it just, it, Thanks, every song man. sticks with you. Um, now, before we let you go, you are, you are on tour promoting uh, your solo album. Uh, tell us again about your, the, the title, how we can find your album, how we can keep up with you. Tell us about that before we let you go. Absolutely. Um, well, you can go to davidshaw.com. You can get all the information on the shows. Um, you can get any merch you want there. Um, so basically, that's kind of the place. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at the David Shaw. Um, you can uh, follow me on Facebook. I think it's uh, either the David Shaw Music or David Shaw Music. Right. Either one of those. <laughs> yeah, we'll check them out. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't got on TikTok yet, but I'm I'm sure my managers are gonna nudge me that way. I'm. <laughs> It's only a matter of time. Come to it's the dark side, David. Come to the dark it's side. Only a matter of time. Seriously. <laughs> David Shaw, it has been amazing talking to you. And anytime you want to come back, the door is absolutely always open. Thanks for having me, man. This is great. This was uh didn't even feel like an interview. It felt like old buddies just getting together and just chat. So those are the best times. You're gonna make me cry at the end of my own interview. <laughs> it's fine, David. Y'all will <laughs> Now that we let David Shaw go his way, let's listen to Disrepair from his new solo album.
coming up next on July 2021's Dante's Old South, we have California resident and visual artist Natalia Anciso. Natalia, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am fine and dandy like sour candy, and I am thrilled to death to have you on the program tonight. Um, let's ease into it at the beginning and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, sure. So I'm a visual artist and educator. Um, I'm originally from Texas, and I have been living up here in California, Northern California, for the last you know, like 10 years. Mm-hmm. I forgot. It's been a, been a while. Um, yeah, I, it's not really much else. Like, I, <laughs> I feel like there is, I feel like there is, and you can take all the time you want. Cause I want to hear about it. Tell us more. <laughs> um, so when I moved up here to California, I got my MFA and, um, I'm a master in art and studio art and I started creating work. And I guess that's when I really got taken serious as an artist. And so I've been able to show in museums and galleries all over the world. I've just been like super lucky with that. Um, and a lot of, I, I can't, I guess I can't solely be an artist. Like I'm always, like I love kids and education is such like a big part of what I do and just like giving back, given my background, like how I grew up, you know, giving back to the community. So a lot of um, my work as an artist and as an educator is so like just tied together. Um, So I've worked in a lot of nonprofits, mostly teaching art. Um, I now like speak with, I go to schools, uh, well, not anymore, right? I do it via Zoom, but um, speak with, young students like all ages elementary through like college and just talk about like my journey and how I got to be an artist um just like really like I hope that in doing that I'm encouraging them to pursue the arts yeah it's important (laughs) a question that um that always interests me is uh you know, you mentioned your natural inclination to want to paint and then going in for an MFA and technical and getting the technical side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, in your opinion, uh, what is that balance between natural um, gift and technical style and study? Um, I think it's important, right? Because I, so like I grew up just like being naturally inclined to just like be creative creative and like draw and paint and stuff um like my parents always tell me the story of like me writing on the walls like when I was little um but I never I never got that technical stuff it was just like I was it was just I guess uh like a gift or something right Mm -hmm. that I had um but I think it's it's super important to to learn that technical stuff um, to improve your practice, yeah. um, so like in everything, right? I played sports, and so you could be like athletically inclined and gifted, but you have to like practice at it to, mm-hmm. you know, to to get better, to perfect whatever you have. I was not athletically inclined, so it was a lot of practice. Right, right. And so it's the same, like with art. 
like, yeah, I can draw, but, um, but getting that technical stuff was like really important, like how to mix colors and how to, you know, shade. And there was a lot of stuff that I, I learned along the way, um, with like my teachers and advisors and stuff. Okay. And also just like the professional aspect, like that's important too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So to, to, to learn again. And the reason I ask is that in, in education, you know, and again, having a passion for educating myself, um, seeing kids get lit up when you bring them, bring them some information or some news that says, Oh, wait, I can do that for a living. I'm good at that. You know, to follow that thread, it's one of the best feelings in the world. And uh, with the inspiration that you give so many others, who inspires you? Um, so many people, my, definitely my family, um, the women in my family, my grandmothers have been a big inspiration, um, with my work. Uh, my community inspires me a lot. Uh, my community back home in Texas and, um, and the communities I lived here in the Bay area, in Oakland, um, that has that really inspires me and like as far as artists i i think i mentioned in the interview that we did like i in in high school when i started to take art serious and and study it um the impressionist movement like was just eye-opening for me i like just loved i loved it and um then when i went to college i learned that, hey, there's artists that look like me, you know, there's artists that are women and there's artists that are brown. And that was just, I think that was like the turning point is like seeing myself, which is why I feel like representation is super important. Um, because I thought like, well, I don't have to be an old white man to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to yeah. be taken seriously. Right. Um, so, so yeah, the uh, artists, I, I've been really lucky uh, moving here to California to work and meet some of the artists that inspired me, like um, Yolanda Lopez is a big one. Mm. Um, there's like so many others that I'm just like blanking out right now. But yeah, mostly inspired by um, my like community, I think family community. And now I do want to make sure that we plug this is that, that, you know, people are going to eat up this interview. I know for a fact, but to get more about you uh, in the current, in the uh, spring blue mountain review online. Now we have a much longer interview and involved interview with you that I urge people to go check out. Um, but before they do check out and go read that, I want to continue here. And my next question is um, we've talked about kind of where your heart is, uh, who inspires you, uh, how you like to inspire others. Um, so coming back, kind of a very much around to the kind of art you do how do you categorize the paintings you create um i think it's really hard i think i often get categorized as just like a latino artist or like chicano artist mm. but i think of myself as um like a, a contemporary artist um which is funny because when I was getting my MFA, I had no idea what that meant. I was like, what is that? And I kept asking, like, can you explain that? Because they, you know, I got pigeonholed into being like a Latino artist. So I would always be asking, well, like explain contemporary, explain contemporary. And no one ever gave me an answer. Right. <laughs> um, but for me, it's just like, I do work up 
about, you know, the, the work represents like who I am and where I come from. And so much of it deals with like um, issues that are happening right now. And so I think that's why I would just, you know, consider myself contemporary artist. Well, I mean, to, for people to see um, how contemporary your art is, they can visit an ex exhibition you have coming up, right? Yes. Tell us about I, that, please, ma'am. Yes, I have um, a solo exhibition right now in San Jose, California. Um, I was approached, it was through a grant and this was a while back. Um, I originally, the exhibition was completely, uh, it was about something else. It was about family separations and everything that was going on in the border, which is something I'm really passionate about. Um, but then the pandemic hit and every, it, you know, it got pushed back. And then I'm in this like weird situation where we're like in lockdown and I have, two little ones and I'm teaching online and like no one knows how to do this. And so I was just stuck in like a, like I had like, um, like the equivalent to writer's block. Yeah. I couldn't make work. Like I uh -huh. just, I, there was no time and, and there was, it was just very hard. Um, so finally I started creating, you know, and everything was just about like all this, this COVID thing that was going on and, you know, it's, it's affected so many in the U S it's not biased, but it's, you know, it's very obvious that it's disproportionately impacting uh, marginalized communities of color. Um, many of, you know, whom, have been working in the front lines, our essential workers. And so my intent with this new body of work that I created um, while I was juggling this like craziness of being a mom and a teacher and all of that um, was just to share like these untold stories of the people in these communities who were experiencing the most um, devastation and honor those who have passed um, the work that was created, you know, was created during the pandemic mm -hmm. and it reflects like themes of like isolation and grief, but I also wanted it to, um, reflect a collective healing and hope and resilience, which I hope it does. <laughs> and, and it's the, the, the pulling back together is, is what's most important. And I'm a huge fan of your art um, and have been since I found it first a couple of months ago. Um, and for more people to be able to check out the work that you have on display and to keep up with you online, how do we do that? Um, you can go to my website, which is www.nathaliancisso.com. Um, I also post some stuff on Instagram. I'm not that cool with it. I need to like <laughs> get better at posting stuff, but I'll post stuff that I'm working on there. So that's another another way that you can follow. And it's um, the same thing, Natalia and Ciso. Well, Natalia and Ciso, it was wonderful to have you on the program. And when you have something else come up or a new exhibition breakout, please let me know. And we'll bring you right back on here. Definitely. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And before we bring on our final guest, let's listen to On the Road on the run by turquoise.
And rounding out the hour this evening, we have Georgian novelist, Southern Collective Experience member, and the fiction editor for the Blue Mountain Review, Robert Waltney. Robert, how are you doing, boss? I'm good, Cliff. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, this is your second time on, and we were just discussing before we hit the record button the last time you were with us, and it was in the fall of 2019, and uh, your book, The Cicada Tree, was just still in like a pulpy state then, wasn't it? Yes, actually, you know, I just finished revising the novel and um, was in a place where I was just getting ready to send it out for queries with um, with agents. Uh, and since then, there's been some great news. What's that yeah. all about? Yeah, absolutely. So I did um, I did land an agent and uh, even being out on submission during <laughs> during a pandemic, um, <laughs> you know, I, I was able to. Um, to get a deal to publish the cicada tree and it's going to be out uh january 2022 and who's publishing it moonshine cove publishing moonshine cove publishing those are good people man um on, i always like trying to get in these these technical tidbits the professional side of the writing you had the whimsy you got the writing down you did the practice you did the editing you got the contract um when you finagled the contract when you sat down with these folks what are some tips that you can give those who are coming up in your shadow who'd like to get their hands around a contract? What, uh, what tips can you give them to best navigate those seas? Well, yeah, I mean, in some instances, of course, you're going to have an agent that's going to help you navigate that. But there's a lot of information, you know, you can Google online about what would be a reasonable and customary literary contract for mm -hmm. certain sizes of publishing houses. So there's a lot of material out there. And of course, if you happen to have a friend who is a published author, uh, utilize those individuals as resources as well. You know, it, it's intimidating, you know, when you when you go into the business of writing, you don't you don't do it because you initially think of it as a business. And then, of course, uh, it very much, you know, is a business for many people, of course, you know, beyond the artistic endeavor. So um, it can be a little intimidating. You know, I, there, there's a lot I don't know and a lot that I'm still learning. But, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an exciting process. The Cicada Tree is the title of your first book, the one that just went under contract. Um, for those who were not listening in the fall of 2019, tell us a little bit uh, about that book and what it's about and what it encompasses. So it, it's a work of, of Southern uh, literary fiction. It um, is in the Gothic tradition, and it, uh, it it's told in first person from the protagonist, um, a young woman named Annalise Newell, and she is looking back on the summer of 1956, the summer that she turned 11. Uh, it was during this summer that she takes music for the first time. Uh, she kills her daddy with a prayer, and uh, she meets a very wealthy family named the Mayfield family that have that possessed this supernatural um, otherworldly sort of beauty and it really is a, and the point at which she meets the matriarch is really the inciting incident which um, drives the plot I have been lucky enough to be in a workshop group with you where um, over the last two years we've read chapter by chapter this stunning novel um, I'm always intrigued with how people are able to capture completely other individuals into these fresh, original new characters. How do you develop such independent characters? <laughs> That's a very good question. <laughs> um, you know, I, it's hard, you know, when you're asked those technical questions, because I don't really know how I do some things, you know, some things are instinctual, but, you know, I, I suppose that for me, um, a story can either begin 
from um, a plot idea or from a character voice. Uh, the cicada tree began with a character voice and um, with the protagonist, Annalise Newell. And, um, you know, I began having conversations with her, just asking a lot of questions, um, you know, uh, and getting a sense of, of, you know, who she was and what she wanted and um, what the arc of her, of, of her story was going to be and who she would be at the end of the story. Um, and then, of course, uh, there's a new project I'm working on, which initially was the idea came to me through plot. And then, of course, when you start with plot, then you have to find your way on the page to the characters. So there's really no one specific way, I think, of, of doing it. You know, inspiration comes in different ways. It can be, you know, a musical piece, a piece of art. It can be a line of dialogue, perhaps, that, that worms its way into your ear. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and you wonder who are the people um, and what story might be taking place for someone to have said those words. So, yeah, it can come in a lot of ways. Now, it's, it's, it's a common theme on this show, or at least one that I try to, to grab hold of when I can. Um, the balance of natural gift of art, whatever genre that you may be in, and the technical study that goes into sharpening that natural skill. Uh, what balance do you strike between whimsy and practical know-how? Oh, gosh. Well... So I guess I've been writing seriously for over 15, 16 years now. And, you know, I'm still learning and still hoping oh, to yeah. grow and be better with each, each new project. I think that for me, well, I personally believe there are two types of writers. I believe that there um, are writers who approach it from an emotional place and writers who approach it from an intellectual place. Mm. And, and which you know, I would align with whimsy. So I think that, that whimsy is, is what I'm driven by in fantasy and, um, and beauty in the world and art and music. All of those things uh, excite me and drive the work that I do. So, and of course, um, the technical aspect of writing is important as well, of course, because yeah. you have to be able to tell a story well. <laughs> right. Uh, and to expound upon that, uh, editing. Uh, when you get down to the editing, which you're back into now to get the book ready uh, for the publisher, or at least the, the second phase of editing, how do you approach it? Or what, what are some tips you have for those who want uh, to, to craft their prose more efficiently? Well, I mean, I think it's important to have beta readers, um, definitely. But you also, you know, if you can find a good critique group, uh, a group mm -hmm. of folks that you support who have your best interests at heart, I think it's important to surround yourself with um with talented writers who will be honest with you and he will um, uh, take your pages with love and grace and give you good feedback. I think that's very important. It's, it's hard to edit your own work. You do need um, a support group to be able to put a second, third eye on that work. You know, I've been fortunate to have um, a critique group, actually two, two critique groups. Uh, you're part of one of those critique groups. Um, and um, I've got another critique group that I've worked with for quite a while as well. And, um, you know, but there are things that you can, you know, you can do on your own, of course, you know, like you can, if, if you're, if you know that you're prone to, to overusing a certain word, you know, you can uh -huh. use the technology to search that word. How many times did I say flash? Right. <laughs> how many times, how many times did I say dazzle? You know, <laughs> um, Serrated is my new favorite parent. Exactly. <laughs> But I think having good people around that are willing to read your work and give you feedback is, is essential. Um, 
right now, you know, I actually, with this, the second project that I'm the very beginning stages of, I'm actually working with a, a writer uh, whom I love very much. I love her writing. Her name is Kim Taylor Blakemore. She's the yeah. author of The Companion and mm-hmm. After Alice Fell. And she writes sort of mid Midwestern Gothic um, historical women's fiction. And, and it's, it's wonderful. It reminds me of the author author Sarah Waters who yeah. wrote uh, a favorite book of mine affinity mm-hmm. and um, she I'm going to be working with Kim uh, she's going to be my accountability writing coach right so on I'm going to be submitting pages to her every every month for her feedback and input just knowing you as well as I do and having you on this last time you have a great deal more uh, calm and confidence in your voice um, does it feel that way is there peace now having that contract and feet on the ground having the brass ring in your hand well I mean, I, you certainly feel validated, you know, and when I came on um, your show in 2019, it's the first radio interview that I had ever done, ever, <laughs> um, as, um, as a writer, uh-huh. and it wasn't really up until that point that I felt comfortable calling myself a writer. Um, I, you know, at, at what point can you call yourself a writer? And, you know, I'd always felt a little arrogant and um, to say out loud. And um, I'm much more comfortable doing that now that I've, you know, had a few short pieces published. Yeah. And now that I'm going to be getting the novel out into the world, it it certainly does val- validate you. Um, I, th- I, don't, I think most writers are insecure because first, you know, you work in isolation so much. And, you know, how do you know if you're a good writer? <laughs> how do you know you don't and and the minute you do you start to get too brash about it you've lost your game you know that's the way i see it anyway so that's why you have to have good people around you who'll be honest exactly amen and hallelujah uh we've got the cicada tree is coming out next year in 2022 uh tell us how we can keep up with you and get our hands eventually on the cicada tree Sure. So um, I have a website, robertlgwaltney.com. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. Um, You know, and and you you know, you can um, see my fingerprints on the work that I do with Blue Mountain Review. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And January 21st, 2022, uh, supposed to be the official release date of the Cicada Tree. You'll be able to um, order it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and, um, and independent book book sites as well right. and hopefully hopefully i'll be able to to tour around and and meet some people and have an opportunity to participate in book clubs along the way so you know, i'm open for um book pick my book and i will come if, and physically attend your your um your meeting and if i can't get there then we'll zoom <laughs> that's amazing dude and as you have more news, man, you know, you'll let me know anyhow, but uh, when we need to make it official, you let me know, we'll bring you back on the show. Absolutely. Well, esteemed novelist, Robert Gwaltney, it was fantastic having you on board, boss. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. Have a good evening. I want to thank you all so much for hanging out with me for a bit this evening. I'm your host, Clifford Brooks, and this has been July 2021's Dante's Old South. I'm forever grateful to tonight's guests, David Shaw, Natalia Anciso, and Robert Gwaltney. A deep debt of gratitude goes out to NPR and WUTC, Autism Speaks, Lyndon Rowe Inn, the Red Phone Booth, and Office Evolution of Roswell, Georgia. Y'all be safe out there and kind to one another. Before we leave, I want to read a poem from my first book, 
The Draw of Broken Eyes and Whirling Metaphysics. Both of my major collections of poetry are available on my website, www.cliffbrooks.com, or anywhere that books are sold. There are hours. This is havoc. A red splattered cheek. Change in sunlight. My stance is aloof, distracted, right foot dragging from watching my father limp with a fake hip. As a child, I picked up his pillbox, his money clip, that carnal eye. And he shook me because of my coming broken heart. Now there is choice. Then the reality of bloodlines, of reoccurring men, of one wolf giving way to an animal, his brood, but sharper, better at being feral, a scourge. Pop's lectures were lost, incinerated on my spirit. He told me what cannot be released will stalk and mangle another life. I hold no rose in lakeside grasses. In my arms there is no basket of intimacy unfulfilled. No scripture whispers in my twisted ear. How does a cloistered man with a gaping wound dismiss his bleeding, his gushing? In this labyrinth, I can't find the leading thread out. I am Minos and his gluttonous son. And this morning a lady gives me a volley of crushing anchors. Love is spindled only in one artery. Through churning valves I allow a single set of platelets. This is a leak of what was, but never was, us. Stone is the softest aorta. I cannot go on eclipsed. I am more than silver peaking. I'm the soothing ring behind what's lonely only because of stabbing fate. Right now, my pretty girl drives fast out of state. Enter melancholy cinders. I eat fists of pomegranate for more time in Hades, quiet in the bowels beneath this constant barrage. Languishing among shades, forgetting I will be no one. The trees, plantation songs, those goddamn morning glories fluttering above me like looting butterflies whose wings move so loudly, better sense screams in vain. In vain, those angels exhausted point away from sticks, begging, knowing I still hear them. Sing aloud, Salve Regina, I am me. I am content to be marked a libertine, welcoming another messy orgasm as a swan to experience virgins. The new breasts avert the vision of the one girl. Lord, run me from her. And a wheelbarrow carry my clattering bones to Lexington's empty church house.
Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Y